0: Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10:30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page. Good morning, Christ Community Church. How you doing? I'm not doing a Dead Poet Society thing. I'm not fixing anything. And by the way, thank you for being here and not watching Cincinnati lose, <laughs> which right now things aren't going well. Uh, well. That's okay. I asked Gary Harris on the way, and, hey, Gary, what time did the Browns lose today? Um, <laughs> he said four. Um, <laughs> the most famous sermon, because we're talking this morning, this is our last sermon series in the Piercing the Darkness series, and uh, it, Today we're going to talk about hell. And I know that's a touchy subject, but here's the deal. Preachers hardly ever talk about hell anymore. It used to be like John Wesley preached about hell all the time. And in fact, the most famous sermon outside of the Bible was preached by a guy named Jonathan Edwards. And he preached a sermon called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Probably the most famous sermon outside of Scripture. And it's all about hell. Hell. And, and what, one of the things Edwards says is that the only thing keeping all of us out of hell is the will of God in air. He said, that's it. So basically what i saying, those 10 years I spent as an atheist, all that time I was just suspended. There's, there's just nothing there. It was an illusion that I was in control of my own life and my own fate, and I was just suspended almost if I could figure out a way to hang from something I would have, but I don't think those writers are going to take that. But anyway, you get the point. I mean, here I was, and I spent 10 years like that. And the problem was back then, I didn't believe in hell. Of course, I didn't believe in God. Certainly, I didn't believe in hell. I didn't believe in heaven. I believed you lived your life. You tried to live it as good as you could before they planted you in the dirt, and that was it. And apparently, a lot of people, even those who are Christians, still partly agree with me. Look at these stats that we pulled together. Only 58% of Americans believe in hell. 58%. Only 58%. This is despite the fact 72% believe in heaven. So almost everybody believes in heaven, but roughly half don't believe in hell. Also, only 2% of people in America believe they're in danger of going to hell. So even the people who believe in hell basically think only a handful of people are going there. Third world dictators... Sex trade slavers, serial killers, people who drive slow on the left lane, those people. <laughs> and everybody else is just going to heaven. Only 84, also 84% of Americans believe good people, whether they're Christians or not, are going to heaven. Now, I always ask them, what do you mean define good for me? Because there's a problem with that. Now, Despite the fact that roughly half people don't believe in hell, a lot of people, the overwhelming majority of people in America, think Jesus was a good, wise, honest man. Whether they believe he was the Christ, whether they believe the Son of God, they believe he was good, wise, honest. Now, take a wild guess about who talks about hell more than anyone else in the Bible. Oh, come on, the answer in church is, if I say 2 plus 2 equals what, you yell Jesus in church. Is so somehow it's correct. Just say, so it's, it's Jesus, that's right. Jesus talks about hell more than anyone else. And when Jesus talks about hell, he says it is eternal, and it is conscious torment. Now, he doesn't mean God's like poking them with a stick or something like that, and he's turning up heat. That's not what he means. Hell is actually separ- total separation from God. And total separation from hope. And that's the kind of torment that he's talking about. Now, you get this, I get this rebuttal all the time. Whoa, 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 wait a minute. Your Bible says God is loving. How could a loving God send anyone to an eternal fate in hell? How is that possible? Well, here's the problem. God is loving, but God is also just. He's the judge of the entire universe. And sin, see here's the problem. People who object to hell fundamentally do not understand who God is and what sin is. Sin is, as dad said, I've said, sin is primarily treason against God. God is the king of the entire universe. He created it. He owns it. He created you And so, he has the right to demand absolute loyalty from all of us, does he not? And yet, when we sin, we are committing treason against the king. And what is the punishment for treason? Death. And so, you can be a good person. By that, people usually mean that they like you, no matter what your flaws may be. You can be a good person, but if you sin once, You have committed treason against the king, and the king is justified in sending you to your prescribed punishment. So God is just. And this is what a just God does. See, we have this fundamental misunderstanding about God. I was talking about this this morning when I was teaching my class, which, this is bizarre. I, I, I live streamed my class on Facebook, and they're like, 40 people in the class, but there are like 400 people watching online. It's like, why don't I just sit on my couch and do this? I can just just preach from my couch. Watch the Bengals game while I'm preaching. Um, They had this fundamental misunderstanding that God the Father in the Old Testament is kind of grumpy and angry and short fused, but then his hippie son comes along. And he tells everybody, chill out get into a drum circle. And, the, and the, you know, the son just kind of chilled the father out. That's not true. That's not what happened. The father, son, and spirit agree on everything. They are one, and they are in complete agreement. And you've got to keep that in mind. Sin is treason against God. But it's more than that. See, here's the problem. Words can often be misleading because we can use a word and that word doesn't convey the depth or possibly even the horror of what's going on before. So you can say, I was assaulted. That doesn't sound so bad. But that could have mean you were beaten to a pulp. Sin is not breaking rules, not being naughty. It is treason, and it's also a rank form of idolatry. And it begins this way. Soren Kierkegaard argued this. He said that sin is basing your identity on anything other than God. And if you look at the the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, is what we're going to do now. Take a look at Luke 16, 19 through 31. Now, this is Jesus speaking, this parable. So this is Jesus talking. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores. Now, automatically, notice something. The beggar is named The rich man is not. Why is that? Next. And longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died, and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. Still no name. In Hades, his place of death, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. And so he called him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am agony in this fire. Notice, he doesn't ask for anybody, he just asks for Lazarus because he still views Lazarus as below him, even though Lazarus is basically in heaven and he's in hell. But Abraham replied, son, that's a term of endearment, that's a term of compassion. Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things, but now he is comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been set in place so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over there to us. He answered, then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family. For I have five brothers. Let him warn them so they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, they have Moses and the prophets. In other words, they have the Bible. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. Now, this is ironic because what does Jesus do? He said to them, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, if they don't listen to the Bible, they will not be convinced. Even if someone rises from the dead, he's saying some people, what Jesus is saying is this man is not named because that's his entire identity. He identified himself as a rich man first and foremost, and a rich man is always going to be in torment for the rest of his life. And he's also saying in this that there are no second chances And that some people will never believe, no matter what. Some people will not believe, they will not come to faith in Jesus Christ, no matter what happens. Just not going to happen. So him basing his entire identity on something other than God led to his eternity in Hades. And we can do the same thing. How do you identify yourself? What's most important to you? Family? Work? Money? Attention? Comfort? Where does your mind go when you get bored? That may be your God. Now, those are all good things, but idolatry is a false worship. It's having a false God. Whatever's most important to you is your God. And if anything other than the God is there, we got problems. There's a problem. Idolatry is taking anything, even a good thing, and making it an ultimate thing. I used to, back when my kid played baseball, you know, I was glad he played baseball, but I hated going to the park. There was always that one dad who's absolutely convinced that in sixth grade, the Reds are going to go ahead and draft him. And he's screaming at the umps and everything else. What's he doing? His entire identity is wrapped up in sports and the success of his child, and he's got to be the player that I never was, and this has to happen. What is that? That's idolatry. Now, see, this is what happened. It's a good thing he loves his son. It's a good thing he wants his son to succeed. It's a good thing that he's there for his son. But he has taken a good thing and he has twisted it into an evil thing. Do you see that? We can do that. That can happen. That's idolatry. That's idolatry. Well, okay. What about this? Why wouldn't God just offer everyone a second chance? Okay, they're in hell. They're not happy about it. They're not comfortable. And God says, Learned your lesson yet? Why wouldn't He do that? Because at that point, they're not choosing a relationship with God. They're just choosing not to be in agony. The rich man doesn't even ask to be taken to the other side. He says, hey, Give me a drink of water, will you? See, you probably have seen these people. I remember them from high school and college. Those, that, those guys, those jerks who try to manipulate girls into staying with them or dating them, you know those guys, right? Maybe no one would love you like me, those kind of guys, trying to force someone to love them. God's not like that. God's not going to force you into a relationship with him. God is love, and the center of love, the core tenet of love, is freedom. I love my wife, my wife loves me. We chose each other. My parents are the same. And that's love. By the time they have been rightly put in their eternal destination, at that point, they have chosen. They have chosen. C.S. Lewis said the gates of hell are locked from the inside. They have chosen that fate. We tend to think that God condemns us to hell. No. Those who don't choose a relationship with God choose hell themselves. Jesus is not, you know, trying to beat you over the head with hell. There's a difference between a threat and a warning. Jesus is warning you about hell because he does not want you to go there. He wants you to choose a relationship with him, service to him as king recognizing him as God and king, and serving him. And we've all got some work to do there. I'm telling you, I don't know about you, I cannot wait for this election season to be over with. And it feels like an eternity, doesn't it? I campaign for like four years now for a four-year job. It's unreal. And it's just like the campaign, could it get any weirder too? I mean... It's like, a last, it's like the last season of a series on Netflix, and the writers have just thrown everything in, you know? It's just weird. I can't wait for it to end. It feels like hell. But, you know, all these things that have come out, you know, in the campaign, all this other kind of stuff, one thing that irritates me, it really does, is I see Christians get more passionate about who's running for president Despite the fact that they all stink, they get more passionate about who's running for president than they do serving Jesus Christ. Why? They get more, you know, get more just passionate and, and all excited about football season, even though both of our teams in Ohio stink this year. The bungles are back. Why? Because we wrap more of our identity in that kind of stuff than the fact that the king of the entire universe stepped down from his throne, came to earth, and died in our place for our sins. And freely offers to say, just come to me, place your belief in me, your loyalty to me, your trust in me, and I'll save you. And this offer of grace doesn't get us nearly as impassioned as politics or football or whatever. There's something wrong. There's something wrong with us on the inside. And I do it too. I do it all the time. But at the end of the day, if someone ends up in hell, they only have themselves to blame. They can't blame God. Now, I have with me, because Pastor Matt loves you, Pop Tarts. Who wants Pop-Tart? Who wants Pop-Tart? Oh, I got one back here. I'm going to see if I can get back there. Come on, watch your head. <laughs> Pop-Tart, come on, come on. There we go. There's Pop-Tart, come on. Somebody grab Pop-Tart over there. There you go. I can't see past like two rows, but I, yeah, hopefully I didn't. Do we need a stretcher? All right, okay. Now, I love Pop-Tarts. Always love Pop-Tarts. Little kid, love Pop-Tarts. Love cereal, love Pop-Tarts. I love, I love crap. I love eating crap. You know, the only thing that really ever makes me doubt the existence of God is why isn't pepperoni pizza calorie-free and full of protein? I mean, right? And so I love this stuff. And I used to be o- overweight because I only ate that stuff. Now, here's the thing. If I continue to do that, if I eat nothing but junk, Pop-Tarts, and all kinds of stuff, all the time, and then the doctor tells me, Matt, you've got high blood pressure, you've got diabetes, you're obese, you're going to have heart problems, I can't go, Pop-Tart, why did you do that to me? I can't blame the Pop-Tart. I've tried, it didn't work. I can't blame the Pop-Tart. You can't blame God for hell, because anyone who's there has chosen to be there. And the simple fact is this: hell should not be what boggles your mind. Hell should not be something that you just shy away from. Hell should not be. So I mean, if Jesus talked about it all the time, why are we afraid to do it? Are we trying to be more Christ-like than Christ? Isn't that a little silly? I've had that happen. Back when I planted a church back in 2008, I had a fellow church planner come to do an assessment. And he said, you talk about judgment in hell too much. I mean, like, Jesus? Hell is real. Hell is freely chosen by those who inhabit it. And what should blow us away is not that that exists, because that's what we all of us who have ever lived save one deserve. What should blow us away is the grace of Jesus Christ, that it's offered to us at all. Because we don't deserve it. The fact that a God who created us and could just shout from the heavens to obey every single day and just scare us into obedience and instead chose to sacrifice himself for us, that's what we should be like. I just don't get this. But it's Romans 5.8. here's the deal. As I said, people have a problem with hell because people have a fundamental misunderstanding of who God is, what sin is, which means they have a fundamental misunderstanding of the Christian faith, period. They don't get it. I must got a handheld mic. Ooh, do it the old fashioned way. Oh, there, now it comes on. Man, oh man, oh man, oh man. I'm telling you. Uh, Murphy's Law. All right. Now we're back on. Oh, if it can go wrong, it will. I heard one preacher put it this way when he was describing the Christian faith and the gospel of Jesus Christ. He said, because in North America, we have this problem. We have a lot of preachers on TV and on the radio that are happy to sell you a bill of goods that Christianity is all about being happy and wealthy and just living a fantastic life, having your best life now problem with that is the Bible. Christianity, life did not get easier for me when I became a Christian. It became a lot tougher. I don't like getting up early on Sundays. I don't like getting up early, period. I'm not a morning person. Probably not an afternoon or evening person either, but anyway. Christianity, I became a Christian and stayed a Christian not because it made my life easier. I became a Christian because it is true, and what the Bible teaches is that if you follow Jesus Christ, things are about to get a lot tougher. Now, one preacher put it this way. Let's say that you're on a plane ride. And you're on this plane ride, and at some point during that plane ride, the stewardess comes to you and says, Here, take this parachute. I want you to put it on. He said, Put a parachute on? Yeah. It'll make your flight easier. Um oh, put this thing on, and you try to wear it in your seat, and why would this make my flight easier? This is just, this, this is uncomfortable. So after a while, what do you do? You shuck it off. You're just, heck with it. This is too uncomfortable. This is the reason why so many Christians try out Christianity, and then they, then they fall away. Because they've been sold this bill of goods that, no, this will make your life worth living. This will make your life happy. This will make your life, and then they put it on. They're like, this is not comfortable. But what if the stewardess comes to you and hands you the parachute and says, um, Sir, you need to put this on. Why? Because the plane's going down. And this is the only thing that can save you. Now are you going to complain about your comfort? No. You're not, you don't care if you're uncomfortable. All you care about is that you've got something that's going to save your life. And that's what the gospel is. Christianity is no matter how much you suffer here and now, there will come a day when you will live an eternal life with God and there will be no suffering. And then that's the life worth living. That's it. Do you see the difference? You need to make sure that people who do not claim to be Christian, people outside the faith, or people who do claim to be Christian, understand this that this is what the faith is about again hell shouldn't surprise us we all want justice at least for other people we may not want it for ourselves but we do want it for other we do want it for you know but grace should surprise us the free offer of eternal life of forgiveness and an eternal life with god that's what should shock us I put it on Facebook that I would take your questions. If you had any about hell, you did not disappoint. You had a bunch, and some of them were doozies. Throw them up there, Chris. Let's get to some questions. Do those who commit suicide automatically go to hell? No. No. That's a pseudo-Catholic doctrine. The Catholics don't even really, but it. it's a pseudo-Catholic doctrine that too many Christians believe. When you come to faith in Jesus Christ, if you have truly repented and turned to him and you trust in him, any sin you have committed, are committing, will commit, is forgiven. Jesus said, it is finished. It's done. It's all done. And and understand that God understands psychology. He understands emotional and mental illness. He gets it. He knows everything. And so if somebody gets into it, if they're a Christian, but for whatever reason they get into a deep depression and they do something stupid, that does not mean they're going to hell. See, you got to get over this. you got to get over this. I, I, t- I tell people this, and I, I'm usually talking to guys, and so if this is a little rough lady, sorry, but here we go. Guys primarily struggle with lust. Now, I know that's shocking. Not your husband, of course, but he only lusts after you. Anyway, um, I'm trying to help you guys. Uh, You were supposed to look, yes, honey, that's true. Um, Let's say that a guy is a Christian, but he still struggles, and he's in a hospice bed. He knows he's only got perhaps moments to live, and they send a nurse in who's kind of put together really well, and right before he dies, the last thing he's thinking is stuff he should not be thinking about this nurse. Does he go to hell? No. I hear George Crumb laughing back there, I'm sure. I, had, I knew I had George. George. Uh, so no, that's, that, that does not happen. Now, is suicide a sin? Yes, I mean, it, it, it is a sin. God has given you a life. He is the author of life. He's the only one who should take life in most circumstances, unless it's war or something like that. So I hope that answers the question. Next question. Sure got time here. What about those who have never heard the gospel? Great question. Here's the deal. And I want you to listen carefully. It says, Rick mentioned this last week. Rick mentioned about those within Christianity that do not believe God knows the future. This is one of the reasons why it's so important that God's, you keep all of God's what they call omnis, omnipresent, omnia, all that kind of stuff. God, because God knows the future, because God God has absolute foreknowledge, because God has what's called middle knowledge, that means he knows what would happen if this happened instead of this. God knows all that stuff. And because he knows that, he knows who will come to faith if the gospel is offered to them and who never will. We just saw the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. Did the rich man show any repentance whatsoever? No. again the gates of hell are locked from the inside god knows who would freely receive his offer of grace and those who reject it under any and all circumstances why would he make them then why would he create people if he knew that they would never receive the gospel here's why you're thinking of yourself as an island when in fact all of us are connected all the people in your life have had some kind of effect on you. You are who you are partly because of the people in your life and the actions they have taken. And so, it is quite possible. In fact, a number of Christian philosophers have argued this, that believe it or not, this world is as good as it gets. If you create free beings, this world is as good as it gets. And as He created a world where the maximum number of people who would ever come to faith would, And we're all affected by other people. And I know that sounds harsh, but that's the way it is. I know there have been a number of people who I know, to a pretty good degree of certitude, that are, will never be in heaven, but have had a huge impact on me. Some of you may know, this I'm assuming a lot, some of you may know I ran away from home when I was 15, and I went out to LA when I was about 17, 16, 17. And that time I spent in Los Angeles, in Hollywood, I, I met very few Christians. Very few Christians. And I worked for a songwriter and screenwriter who was um, who was a gay atheist. I worked for two atheist songwriters who, who wrote a number of huge hits. I worked, I did, you know. And those people had a profound effect on me, and one of the effects they had on me was, I remember when I left Hollywood, I was still an atheist, but I remember thinking, because when I went out to Hollywood, it's how naive I was. I thought, "I can't wait to get out of Southern Ohio and get to Los Angeles because they're so much better educated and cultured, they must be better people." Oh my gosh, was I wrong? I remember with LA in my rear view in 1991 as a 19 year old coming back here thinking, I can't wait to get back to those uneducated, uncultured, loving people. (laughs) Because that's the most shallow bunch of narcissists I've ever met. And so, but they had a profound impact on me. And in fact, I started questioning a lot of things about that time, seeing that. Next question. We're almost done. Where is hell? Left lane in New Boston. Um, <laughs> if I wake up and I'm in a continuous loop of the left of the land of New Boston, I'm like, ah, oh, the Mormons were right and I was wrong. Um, <laughs> shoot. Um, where is hell? Hell and heaven are not places, they're dimensions. Their dimensions. We actually see this in Scripture. If you go back and you look at Jacob when he wrestled the angel, it's almost like a portal opens up and he sees into heaven. And he said, God was here and I didn't even know it. It's another dimension. Now, physics have actually proved this, that there are other dimensions. We don't know how many. We don't know exactly how it works. We just know that it's possible. And that's where heaven and hell. They're not in a space. You're not going to drill down to get to hell. It's not, under, it's not under the earth. And heaven is not above the clouds. It's a dimension, not a place. Now, I got a number of other questions. I don't have time to go through all of them. There were just too many. They were really good. I'll try to answer some if I can on my Facebook page or my blog or or, or whatever as soon as I get time to, to do that again. But again, at the end of the day, the Bible affirms, Old Testament and New Testament, Our souls are eternal. They never cease to exist. They just change location. Where God wants us to be is in heaven with him, not in hell, apart from him. The Bible actually states that hell was not even designed for us. God built hell for Satan and his demons. And by the way, Satan does not rule in hell like the Satan in South Park. Not that I've ever seen that dirty show. But anyway... um, (laughs) Satan does not rule in hell. Satan is condemned to hell. He does not want to go there. This is why you see the one case of pure demon possession in the Bible. And what do the demons scream at Jesus? Please don't cast us there. Please don't cast us there. They're begging them not to be cast into hell. Now, if the demons think it's a bad place, what should you think? Hell is real. And we don't do God a service by trying to take what the culture considers offensive parts out of the Bible. You don't have to do that. You present all of it. But fundamentally, you present this. That the gospel of Jesus Christ is there to rescue us, not make our lives easier. You become a Christian, your life will become tougher. It will be harder. But the next life, that that is worth all the suffering here and now. Because as my mom likes to say, this life is the shortest part of eternity. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for your justice. We thank you for your grace. May all of us view the faith correctly. May we share it passionately, bringing more and more people to you. And out of an eternity of damnation, away from you. We love you, we thank you, we worship you, we serve you, and you go with us everywhere. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Hey, folks, we got about the, if you have a kid in promised land, it's probably gonna be about another seven minutes before they're done. So if you got a kid, just kind of hang out uh, and relax, take those last seven minutes of quiet and and appreciate them, and uh, then go check them out so they have time to finish their crafts, and all that kind of stuff. Otherwise, um, you are free to go. God bless you. God go with you. Be sure to be generous with the less fortunate as you go. See ya.